Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. Welcome to uh, Ecosocialism 2019 Report Back. Um, this is coming from uh, an event that's done by the Fourth International at the International Institute and in Research Edu Education uh, Institute also known as IIRE, um, or the Institute as it was locally known. Uh, I'm Stephen from Solidarity and Boston DSA. Uh, joining here is uh, Matt coming from the West Coast, as I'm on the East Coast. Um, Matt, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, where you're coming from? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on for this report back today. Um, my name is Matt. Uh, I am a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, I live in Oakland, California. And for two or three years now, I've been a member of the East Bay DSA chapter, um, uh, where I'm a member of the elected leadership. Uh, I help lead a lot of our electoral work, like our DSA for Bernie campaign. That's kind of been our big focus over the past few months. Um, and yeah, uh, just to give a kind of brief recap of like how I came to socialist politics, um, I was sort of you know, thought of myself as being on the left for a long time. My older brother was a longtime member of the, uh, the ISO, um, and that helped politicize me. And then I really started getting actively involved with politics, and my political development, I think, was accelerated in the course of the 2016 election, and it was part of the so-called Trump bump of uh, DSA after Trump's election. Um, and it's been great just getting involved with organizing for the first time through this, and uh, and also growing a lot through political education and opportunities like the eco-socialism school. So yeah, very grateful to have gone and very grateful to be here today. Great, great. Uh, and just as, uh, by way of introduction myself, uh, Stephen Mahood, I'm, uh, as I said, already in the Boston area. Um, and in my political um, consciousnessing, if I will just create a word there, uh, came about, I think, a uh, well, I guess 2007, I think is when I joined Solidarity um, as a sympathizer before I moved into becoming a full member. Um, and, you know, over the years had gotten, was really intrigued on their approach to labor as I, that's what I did my grad work in, uh, their rank and file strategy. And, um, and over the years was involved in different movement work, uh, both in the country and out of the country. And I was living in Mexico and, uh, coming back, uh, to the Boston area got, you know, it was right before the Bernie upsurge, uh, of things occurring and kind of the, the moment, but um, we'll get into some of the details of, of our country report that goes into some of my own history on this stuff too. But, you know, joined DSA, I want to say 2017, I think is when I joined after doing a number, like being on the outside, being questioning, questioning it, but, you know, really embracing Solidarity's approach from our convention, which was to look at DSA as a movement with the surge of new membership. And um, our, our approach on that is, you know, getting involved and trying to make it grow and building it. Um, but at the same time, you know, trying to bring our politics in a constructive way and everything else. So uh, that's kind of my like focus on that. Um, and yeah, and so this opportunity that you and I both came back from the, the Eco-Socialism School at the IIRE, um, this is the first time I actually had ever a chance to attend. Um, I've heard about it before, but never really, uh, I can just honestly say never really took it as seriously uh, until going. <laughs> uh, but I've always heard reports from younger comrades that have always said it was a great experience. Um, and we've typically sent people from DSA, uh, to, uh, to the, uh, to the school itself. Um, so, uh, where, where was this wonderful school, Matt? 
<laughs> when, when were we there? I, I feels like years ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, for real. Um, I mean, it was in Amsterdam in the Netherlands uh, at the actual institute itself, the Institute for International Research and Education. They have a kind of huge building there um, that's uh, just an, an incredible resource, incredible asset for a school like this. Mm -hmm. um, and we were there, I guess, November, uh, early November through like mid-November, I think, right? No, no, I think is we started mid-November and then we were there. You left right at the beginning of December and I stayed there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I flew back yeah. right at the beginning of December and you, yeah. you wound up doing all, all three weeks. I did the first two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, this school, yeah, I agree. The, the Institute itself is an interesting place. I'd never been to Amsterdam before, so that was uh, a bit fun. And, and the, uh, one thing that I really came to learn was the stairs in Amsterdam are really <laughs> steep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I just try to think of like the, the physical space that we actually had there. Like it was a, what I want to say four stories. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And like the, the housing was on the fourth. Uh, yeah. So like everything was in unit, right? We had housing, we had the classroom, we had the kitchen. Uh, yeah. Offices, I mean, meeting spaces. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then just the, the neighborhood itself was, was really nice. Um, having never known mm -hmm. that, Amsterdam is, I think, use the metric system on this one, six meters below sea level. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, huh, <laughs> how are we not underwater? <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, what was your impressions of the space? I mean, I, it's, it's such an incredible thing to have a space like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and such an asset uh, to actually have a building where you can host a school like that um yeah. i know one thing that we kind of joked about through the whole experience was like it's fully possible especially when you're doing the school and so busy with it to just not leave the iare space for like days on end yeah. um because uh, you're so busy i mean it's like you know a full day's schedule every single day mm -hmm. and the classes uh all your meals your housing it's all right there in one building mm -hmm. um so it really makes it possible, I think, actually to like have a school like that in a really intensive way to host people from all over the world. Um, and it's just an amazing space and like great library too, tons of cool books around mm -hmm. uh, and really suited to everything you would need to do over those two, three weeks in Amsterdam. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I still couldn't get over the, the my impression of the city itself with like just the amount of infrastructure there is not not just for subways um, and trams as I kept getting yelled at by Theo yeah. for not calling it a, or calling it a subway, but you know, Boston, <laughs> we have subways that technically there's a green line, which is what they would call a tram, but it goes under the ground. So anyway, um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, the other part was the infrastructure for bikes. Holy crap. Like seriously, I have yeah. you seen as many bikes. I, I I'm going to show a picture at some point. I've shown a picture of numerous comrades and everything else about, that but wow <laughs> yeah it's it it is very clearly i had heard it before it is very clearly a bike centric city you know yeah. that's a, a number of them 
not only the number, but the fact that you get hit by bikes as a pedestrian, because they apparently don't respect the pedestrian <laughs> rules on this one, despite it being a rule that they're supposed to stop for, for pedestrians. <laughs> Bike-dominant bike city. No yeah. rules. And no helmets. What the hell? No helmets. <laughs> yeah, they just go for it. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, just getting there itself was great. I, I remember walking into the building and everything else and then trying to figure out. I, I know I got there pretty early, but uh, uh, they... I think I was the second one there um, and just not knowing who was going to be there. I, I, I like, I couldn't like, I, it was a similar space. Like I had heard people's stories about going there, but i never really knew what to expect uh, because you know, there's no coordination of exactly who's going from the different sections or sympathetic organizations to the fourth international or even groups that are not related, but have been invited to send people, send people to attend. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I remember getting in and, and the first thing that Alex uh, DeJong and Morel, uh, who were the two staff people at the IRE, uh, were there. Um, and, uh, they, the first thing they asked me is like, you, you speak Spanish, right? I'm like, uh, yeah, why? <laughs> and, uh, our comrade Nat Natalie from Colombia was our, had gotten there before myself and, um, and they were, they were doing literally like Google translate to actually communicate the most of the time. <laughs> Uh, and then following me was you were, uh, you were thrust immediately into the translator. Role. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, Which you played very well the whole time. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I could have done a much better job. I, I honestly felt like I, I lost language skills at some point, um, uh, mostly because it, it. The one thing that I'll say, well, we'll get into this in a second uh, when we get to the layout of the day. But um, but yeah, my my skills as speaking Spanish were deeply challenged uh, in a good way, in a very constructive way. So. Uh, but really what was cool is like uh, Ana Le from Argentina was the next person that came after me. And then there was like a whole like wave of people coming in uh, very quickly um, over time. And it was, it was just really, I remember the anticipation of just not knowing who's going to be there, but like how exciting it was to think like there's going to be another new comrade and we're going to get to see each other and, and meet each other. And how's this, you know, how's this going to work? Uh, you know, because the housing, we're all sleeping in the same, like, well, not all of us, but we all were sharing living space um and so Both beds literally <laughs> yeah 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 um, and you know you and i were in the same room with the uh well we had a with federico the entire time and then we lost we we had to trade or rotation at certain points too with the interpreters yeah, but, yeah. um anyway I'm, I'm talking too much here so why don't why don't you kind of give like a run through of your impressions of the coming in and then um kind of what we're expecting to see as we're going yeah i mean i i went in with um very little idea of what to expect honestly uh mm. i uh had learned about the school basically from comrades in solidarity i talked to a few solidarity folks and talked to you before the school so i had sort of the basics mm -hmm. the one thing that people kept emphasizing to me that really um i would say it was accurate to my experience is they kept on being like it's it's a school which means you're going to be in class most hours of the day and reading most hours of the day. And that, that, that definitely proved true. Um, I know you, you've said before and said, while you were there, it felt like, you know, three years of grad school or something crammed into like three weeks. And it definitely did feel like that to a certain extent, you know, just having a long lecture in the morning, read over lunch discussions in the afternoon, read some more at night. Um, so that definitely, uh, I knew it was coming and that kind of immersion in the political education was incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and also I knew a little bit about the kind of like collective living as they call it, where mm -hmm. 
we were all sort of on different teams that would rotate through cooking different meals and, um, and cleaning the space. And that I actually thought was extremely fun too. It was just a totally different way to get to know some of the other comrades who were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think did encourage a real sense of like camaraderie among everyone that, you know, we're all cooking together while eating together every day. I think it helped forge some of those bonds. Um, And I would say the number one thing, like you were saying that I didn't feel I had really anticipated was just like, who was going to be there. I really had no idea Mm -hmm. what countries, what kind of organizations uh, people would be coming from, what kind of work they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just to meet, you know, comrades from all over the world and Mm -hmm. uh, get to learn about politics in their home countries directly from them. um, I don't think I really went in with a sense of like, what a rich experience that would be. Yeah. It's definitely the thing that kind of sticks with me. You know what I mean? Like you could read a lot of these texts just sitting at home, but (laughs) you have to go to the school to actually like meet and have the interactions and discussions with, uh, with these incredibly smart, amazing people from all over the world. Um, So that to me was like one of the best aspects of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's weird because like, I was was thinking about it too. It's like the, the feeling not only is like, reading over different meals and everything else, which apparently we, a number, like we took very seriously. Um, at, and, uh, but at the same time, that team effort of working on different meals and everything else mm-hmm. furthered those discussions, um, gave yeah. like, a, like, I mean, it, it just, to me, even like the, oh, when we were sitting down and eating meals, we kept talking about everything that we we're like going through that yeah. like, it was, it was cool. It was like, I'm going to come up with a new way of referring to it. It's like hyper-education. Like you, you're just, as like, as we're developing hyper-relationships between each other, because none of us knew each other, uh, even you and I only spoke on the phone um, before going there and having never met in person. And just like, you know, one, I, I think of like all different experiences of like camps, if you will, of like how, you know, very quickly people get pissed off about others and how that never materialized. Like in the three weeks that we're there, nobody ever got pissed off at each other for, are living in cooking and everything else situations. Um, at least that I saw truly um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just cool because like, I would, you know, you'd run into these side tangent conversations that would be brought up by the discussions from the day and it would just kind of just boil into you. Like, I mean, and Theo, I, you know, you could get into conversations with him for hours, which is great because they're all like, worthwhile discussions and everything else and there were times when like it's one o'clock in the morning and like we should probably go to bed but I don't want to <laughs> you know and it is it, it was really intense but exciting as well so uh yeah. and yeah this the sessions themselves were, were pretty amazing I, I I still couldn't get over like even the rotation I, in addition to the teams the facilitation that we had to rotate on facilitation each day um was really cool um and we had to time it with language because there were different facilitators or different presenters that spoke different languages. Yeah. And so, you know, we're in a truly multilingual space um, of comrades that, you know, would either be speaking within the community itself, Spanish, French, or English amongst the other languages that they're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. But those are the three ones that we had interpreters for. And that was also amazing. Just like each lecture every morning, and the group discussions in the afternoon um, were had interpreters that were doing an amazing work. I, I have a high appreciation for interpreters and they're, they're comrades of mine who, who do it, who I know, and it's been drilled into my head how much to respect interpreters. 
Um, and uh, I have to give them a lot of, a huge shout out for the, the work that they did. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, because like we would have the, the headsets on, everybody had to have the headsets based on the languages that you were dealing with through the day. Um, and you'd have the three different channels for the different languages. Uh, they have like a cool booth. Uh, I, I'm kind of doing a hand visualization, but it doesn't work for everybody else listening. Um, but <laughs> um, there are three booths behind us that were behind uh, soundproofed rooms that they would have hooked up to the mics. So none of us could talk in the group unless you had the microphone, because otherwise interpreters couldn't hear you. So therefore it wasn't getting interpreted to the other people that were actually hearing it because they couldn't understand the language that you were speaking. Um, on top of that, speak slowly, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> certainly was a challenge for a number of our comrades when they did that. I, I, I struggled with it. <laughs> I got well, some talkings too from the interpreters. <laughs> no, I, I believe it was the choice of words in your case, Matt. <laughs> what was the Perhaps, word yeah, yeah. that they had a hard time interpreting? <laughs> um, I can't remember what it was now. Oh shit, it's going to escape me, but that was hilarious. Patious, I think, was a word. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, what? like what? Why would you say that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that was a, that was a, a fun experience of going through that. And the, the thing that I think was really cool coming from both, I mean, I'm going to speak on your behalf in this case, but like, it, it was really cool being in a non-US centric space. Like, we were clearly not yeah. the center of the conversation. Um, and the, the doubts that they had, because I, I, I've run into this when I lived outside the country too. Um, it's always a, a nice camaraderie thing when, when Comrades from Latin America refer to, to us as the, the good gringos, um, <laughs> <laughs> since that is such a derogatory term in most cases, which is rightfully derogatory, just by the way. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I really liked how it was not so focused on, on the perspective that we're coming from. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so w were there any sessions that kind of jumped out at you that, that I mean, there's so much, because this, this was in total 18 days. You were there for, I think, two-thirds of them 11 yeah like um and i still have days of notes that i still can't yeah. even I, I feel like if i'm going to write a report on this it's going to be a book um and i don't want to write a book um <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah so what were there any sessions that of the 18 different topics which we'll give a link to for folks on when this is posted so people can look at the different topics we went over and some of the materials that came with it definitely um, what were your thoughts? Any, any ones that, that kind of jumped out at you or you still are sitting on? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the first thing I would say is I would just encourage everyone to go and actually find that link. Um, and it's, it's a real incredible resource uh, mm -hmm. just to have all of the readings that we did over those three weeks kind of compiled into one place. And like, you know, you'll find all kinds of great stuff to read to kind of get deeper into certain topics to me, I mean, the ones that, as I was just looking over and reviewing my notes to prepare for this, that really jumped out, that I felt like I learned the most from, uh, you know, coming from a, a, like, I'm still very much in the process of my political development, of learning about leftist and Marxist politics. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the intro to Marxist economics class that we did with Alex Merlo. Yep. That was completely new to me. I know you had studied a lot of this in school, um, but it was a totally new analytic for me of how to think about uh, how to think about the economy and how to think in those terms of like surplus value, constant capital, variable capital. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, that day it, it both gave me a kind of new way of thinking 
and also provoked some interesting debates. We had a kind of debate in the English speaking um, breakout group about what counts as productive versus unproductive work. Um, I know we talked that day too about the history of long waves and capitalist crises, talked about the mm -hmm. possibility of uh, another coming period of crisis and what that might mean for the left. Mm -hmm. That I think has kind of sat with me too since the mm -hmm. school is just that this is something we should be thinking about and kind of um, taking into strategic conversations and considerations on the left as well. Um, what a new crisis would mean for us on the left, actually. Yeah. So that day I thought was incredible. Um, you know, two other ones that I would just pull out really quickly. Uh, Morale, who's one of the directors of the IRE, did a great session on uh, the working class called The Working Class Today. Mm -hmm. um, that was both sort of a history of class composition and also got into some debates around like um, uh, present day class composition, you know, the idea of like the precariat and what we thought of that, the precariatism, pre oh God, what's that? <laughs> uh, precariatism, making precarious of, of labor <laughs> today and, and um, yeah. what that means for the working class. Uh, and also, I think that day we talked a little bit too about, um, uh, I think we referred to it as like emerging social agents, like what it means to not just have strikes at the workplace, but to have mass women's strikes popping up all over mm -hmm. the globe. Um, and how we can think about those as agents of the working class too. Yeah. And Peter Drucker's day on imperialism, I also just want to shout out quickly. It was um, such a thorough and great day. And it's really been on my mind a lot lately because obviously uh, we talked a lot about U.S. imperialism uh, mm -hmm. and the need for there to be strong anti-war and peace movements in the U.S. actually countering that kind of power. Mm -hmm. And obviously given our current circumstances in the United States and the military escalations with Iran, it's really been on my mind. And I feel like we were sitting there in Amsterdam like, where the hell are the anti-war movements in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. um, and that question, I think, has become like more pertinent than ever. Uh, yeah. And certainly, you know, I've been encouraged seeing mass mobilizations start to take place all over the country. But definitely, that class and the kind of pressing need for a strong anti-war movement um, and for the left to really prioritize that has certainly been on my mind more than ever lately. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's those are some really good takeaways on that. Like, I, I and I agree. Um, the uh, the the what Peter Drucker is bringing up, but like the question of anti-war, and it is certainly something on my mind. It's certainly stuff that we're seeing now, just at the timing that we're recording this. Uh, clearly, well beyond when we uh, were attending. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and I just just to touch back on little things, which you actually brought up something we forgot to highlight, which is um, you know being a multilingual event. We had three different discussion groups based on languages. So there was English-speaking yeah. discussion yeah. group. There's a French uh, speak, speaking uh, discussion group and then the Spanish speaking discussion group. And you got the English one and I got uh, put in the Spanish speaking one. Um, and uh, the, the, those experiences are really, really good. And I was thinking about it too in, in the sense of like a lot of the discussions that came up. Um, one of the things that I, that I remembered um, that was a good takeaway was, um, was early on that we had the, the discussion about women's movements and LGBTQ um, that, I thought was really good. And we ended up coming back to this, I think after you had left, uh, or maybe it was just before, um, when it came to like a feminist approach, because it was, anyways, it was really good about talking about front facing sides of things. Um, one of the 
you know, and the importance of women's movements and being trans inclusive, of course, in this case, um, like the, the efforts that, that they played in so many parts of the struggles that we've been a part of and how even of the left, it sometimes gets overlooked um, and not, not taken up into the, the seriousness of the, and the importance of it, um, which was really good. But it also dovetailed into side conversations, uh, not side conversations, but like other topics that came up from those discussions. Um, and in our discussion group on that, we were talking a little bit more about what do we, you know, there's a, the front facing stuff that the, the left should be doing when it comes to women's and LGBTQ, but there's also the internal stuff of what we should be doing when it comes to the, the, the harassment and dealing with the gendered violence. And that was mm-hmm. also something that came up that was, I thought was really cool. Um, and I'll touch on that a little bit more, but it was this, it, that was, that struck, uh, spoke to me that the day that I facilitated which everybody had to facilitate, which was really cool. I think I already said that, but I'll repeat it a little bit. But what that meant was like handling the time for each session because, you know, in addition, just a little bit more of an input on where the interpreter setup was, we had in the morning sessions, we had like 30 minute sessions because interpreters, the, the standard is a 10 minute break between interpretation. Um, and so we were having those structures set up intentionally and that's when we do coffee breaks and boy, did we ever drink a lot of coffee um, <laughs> and tea for that matter. Um, but uh, the, every yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> um, the one with Marika who uh, spoke on uh, was it the human relations or humans, oh, I'm blanking on the title of it. Uh, the relationships of human society of like in the nature to product productivism, um, I thought was really yeah interesting and and just to highlight because like you're you're coming in from you know marx's marxism is a is a relatively new theoretical conception and everything else um and for myself you know it's something that yeah i, I was able to read capital in, in grad school and and learn learn it by reading in a number of places but also the importance of action and everything else so like what i felt was really cool is that even having an understanding and schooling in Marxism of any sort, there's still so much it can get out of the school. And so like this one on, on the relationship of human society, it, it helped me take the analysis and the theory that I've been taught and kind of reapply it in a different way that I thought was much more constructive and helpful. And that's what I thought was really cool is how it could, not just in this, but it happened in numerous different discussions and lectures of taking the theory and thinking about it in a different way. Um, and similarly, um, I think Alex, when he did his his presentation on Asia and starting it off with Asia doesn't exist, which I thought was great. Um, I don't want to go, want to go into too much details on that one because it's one that's definitely worth uh, attending to 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 learn about. But his experience of Indonesia and like the development of capitalism through colonialism, like the details of these things were just really it's stuff that you, you get on paper, but then you start looking at the situations and it's so informative and so really paints a picture of like what we're actually dealing with and how big, how big the system is and how powerful it has been and still is to a certain extent um, in, in inflicting this change. Um, but then going a little bit back to Marika's point was the, the environmental impact of our relationship to it, like how whole regions of, of earth, if you will, were transformed from, for one purpose, you know, a, a specific, production of something specific that was coming back to Europe or coming, going to specific places for larger production. I thought was just, I mean, it's stuff that we know about, but just seeing the history of it and just even thinking about the impact of like the regreening of Europe because of the importance of the, um, was it the rubber trees? Like before the trees were ter- torn down for whatever other capitalist and colonial needs to now they're being replaced by rubber trees. And so it's regreening the environment, but not in a necessarily 
uh, a environmentally friendly way. I mean, it's, it's still done for production. That's for production. Yeah. Itself. Yeah. And like, and I think it, the other part that I, I think we kind of lose, we lose at least in the environmental discussions that we run into in climate change is, is still like, even now with climate change and, and the importance of it coming up in, in, in everyday life, the oil industry is stored, sort of overlooked. Like, and it's still such, like we got out of some of the courses, I, I think even with Peter Drucker of like, how important the oil industry is still to capitalism and how it's constant tear to the environment is still so present. And that was a huge takeaway that I took from, from that day that, that he, he was speaking on. I, I just, there was so much more because like we're only touching on a couple here. And <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but you know, in the other stuff, like we had all these different topics each day. Right. And and then, you know, after our discussions that we had in the evening where we had, um, you know, we came back from our language groups and then had further discussions from our language groups, you know, what, what happened after our language groups met or our language discussions, if you will, is our one of my, one of my favorite things, yeah. uh, the daily country report. Yeah. So how explain this a little bit just for, for uh, those listening that what, what that means. Yeah, so it, it genuinely was one of my favorite parts of the schedule every day. Um, mm. Basically, at the end of each uh, day's session, um, there would be a half hour set aside for a country report from one of the uh, students at the school. Um, mm. and Or a group, if there were people from one country. So, for instance, Stephen and I gave a half hour report on the state of U.S. politics. We got more and than a half team, hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they tended to drag on. Um, uh, but I think it's because the, the discussions were just so so rich, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And it is really an incredible thing to be able to meet someone from a country you've never been to, a country whose political situation you might have very little knowledge of, mm -hmm. and to be able to get their full analysis of it is like that was one of the best parts of the school to me. You know, you just, you learn so much just hearing directly from people, um, their kind of take on what the current political situation is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are there any ones that spoke out to you? Like uh, any, anyone in particular that you, I mean, not, not that there's anyone specifically that was great, but like anyone that still kind of sits in your mind on this. Definitely. I mean, two that I, they were all great. I, mm -hmm. I genuinely mean it when I say it was, uh, my favorite part of the daily schedule. Um, but two that I would shout out in particular were um, our Argentinian comrades, uh, Anale and Cecilia and Federico. The three of them kind of teamed up and gave a whirlwind, like condensed history of Argentinian politics from, from Peronism in the 1940s to present day. Yeah. Um, and the way that they kind of explained this was like, you have to understand Peronism. You have to understand Kirchnerism in order to understand the current state of, of politics. Uh, mm -hmm. with, uh, Christina Kirchner's Hernandez coming back into, into office soon. Yeah. Um, uh, very well. You, you hit mute a little bit there, but go on. <laughs> Am I back? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, they use that history to situate also the kind of developments on the left, um, that there's a new sort of party formation that's come together, FIT, mm -hmm. the front of uh, the left and workers. Um, and it just was such a rich history of uh, the kind of particularities of Argentinian politics. Mm -hmm. The other one that I would shout out really quickly is uh, Vanessa, 
who is a um, comrade from Kashmir, uh, gave a great report on India mm-hmm. and rather dismal state of Indian politics. And yeah. I genuinely, you know, you're aware of Modi, you're aware of Hindutva as um, kind of very destructive uh, far-right forces in Indian politics. But the thing that I did not really recognize before her country report was the sort of depth of the problem. Mm -hmm. And the fact that their party, the BJP, has such an organized presence, um, not just in the government where they have, you know, something like a supermajority of parliamentary votes, but also a real organized presence in civil society too. Um, Mm -hmm. And that there is a firm base for that far right ideology in a country of 1.5 billion people. And that to me just left me, um, you know, it was a really sobering report and, and left, uh, I think a strong impression of just how dire the political circumstances are in India right now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, all the country reports were, were, Fantastic. But those two, I think, really stuck with me as like really thorough and interesting uh, breakdowns of what's going on in those those parts of the world right now. Yeah, definitely. And um, just to add a little thing, too, just so people understand, like when when it comes to Argentina, the, the three comrades coming from Argentina come from three different uh, Trotskyist yeah. organizations. And uh, if you didn't know, I believe Argentina has the most amount of Trotskyist organizations than any other country. <laughs> uh, there, there may be a... a, a I don't know if there's even a close second, but um, they, they do have many. Um, so, but the cool thing is like not the three of them, um, I don't think had known each other until coming to the school. So that was actually kind of cool that yeah. they were coming together in that space. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think the country reports were really important too. I, I, I think there was, there was a lot that came from it that was really eye-opening. And, and as you're talking, it kind of jogged my memory about some of the reports that we got from the European countries, but it also kind of went through and I'm going to jump back a little bit to the topic, which was the European um, union imperialism uh, discussion, which, you know, you know, I studied politics as a college student and, you know, my like impression of the EU was like, Oh, you're just trying to become like the U S but in the sense of like States coming together and having a central government of some sort, not that I actually thought it was a good idea or a bad idea. I didn't at those times when I was less rad or not even radical, I didn't have a perspective on it, but so this was like kind of the first time of really revisiting what that structure is. And I thought, you know, we, we got reports from countries and, and just things are really, you know, the, the right is really growing in a lot of places that we just kind of take for granted. And we see that coming from Brexit. We see that coming from um, a lot of the struggles in, in Germany to all this other stuff going on and, and in France now. Uh, and so um, what I think is really kind of, um, important to that we got out of the European stuff is how undemocratic the European union is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it, I just think we all think that it's very democratic and it's not because, <laughs> and that's the, the one part that was like so clear of like, Oh my God. So your elected representatives to the EU are not able to write legislation, yeah. but yeah. people who are not elected that are coming from the different country states can be put into a commission or something like that, that are non-elected people that then create the legislation that get presented to people that are then voting on what their legislation passes. I'm like, God, none, none of that. It was completely built in neoliberal era and like, just Jesus, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I, I just, the, the, that day was just really, really informative on so many different levels. Um, but yeah, even going into the stuff of the country reports to, to Latin America and to 
Niger and Senegal, like there's just so many amazing different things that were going on. And, and, you know, it's not like, it's not like we, any of us had any preparation. We would, you know, they asked us like kind of the day one that we got there is like, Hey, you might be doing a country report at some point. And, you know, so you're not, I, didn't, I never had the impression that we had to have written something up. Unfortunately, you and I came together to pull something together, but, um, but it was, it was just like one of those things, like it's not a completely prepared report by the sections or the organizations attending. Oh, it's, certainly not. Yeah. yeah it, it's coming from the movement experiences that all of us are coming from in certain ways and however you're going to write it up at that moment. So, um, but anyway, so before we get into our own country report, the other thing that I kind of wanted to touch on is that, you know, in these discussions, um, a lot of other things came up that weren't part of the, the lecture or the curriculum, if you will, um, or they were just small little seeds. Um, you were referring to one earlier. So like what the, I think it was on the Latin America presentation that, um, was done when, when micro debts came up, right? If I remember that correctly. Um, it, it, uh, I think it came up in some of the Latin American country reports and also our Senegalese comrade Bambi talked yeah. about it a lot in hers too. And it was, you know, I mean, um, there were a lot of activists there from, uh, different groups within CADTM, the, uh, committee for the abolition of illegitimate debt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was shocked the number of comrades from different parts of the world mm -hmm. who were doing very similar work on microfinance and micro debt in their, in their own countries. Yeah. Um, which, uh, is basically a form of like predatory loaning where, um, you know, people will give small loans to, you know, uh, peasants, that sort of thing, and then charge insane rates that drive people into debt. People commit mm -hmm. suicide over this all the time. Um, and it's really, it, it's like the worst capitalism has to offer. And yeah. I think learning about that, learning about the way in which it takes shape in similar forms across very different geopolitical contexts was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it just, it was, it was truly incredible to learn about that. And also I think at one point they organized a sort of session to, to talk about this issue, um, yeah. kind of self-organized meeting where a lot of the activists who were working on this sat down and kind of exchanged thoughts about strategy and how they're organizing against this in their own countries. So, yeah. And I mean, the one that was telling to me is when, when John from Columbia, um, I won't go into the, his naming and how he was named uh, for the sake of John. And if he hears this, I'm sure he'll laugh. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but because he works, I believe, uh, for, uh, with the Bankers Union in, in Colombia. And mm -hmm. like yeah. the other thing that I didn't think about when it came to microfinance and micro debt and all this other stuff is the, the role of the cartels and that they are deeply in, involved in the same industry of micro loans. Um, and how they use how much power and control they have over that. And it was like a realm of like, yeah, I know the cartels do a shit ton of stuff. I mean, I've seen them take over uh, agricultural fields in Mexico that they hold on products or production of those that, to heighten the costs and everything else. I never thought about the loans. I mean, it would make sense because they, you know, have complete access and control to banks. I remember, uh, was it H, uh, was it HSB? What's HBSM or whatever? HSBM, that, that bank, which is 
or no, HSBC. There we go. I'm going to get this correctly at some point. I, I remember uh, John Stewart in the Daily Show calling it that. It's like, holy shit, bank corruption is what it stands for. And I was like, yeah, you know, and banks are completely corrupt. And now, you know, banks are completely run by cartels at this point, apparently. Uh, but I thought that was really uh, amazing. And I, it was cool how there was space always created for like these different discussions that were kind of coming from the bar bigger discussions, usually in the evening when we we're having dinner or before dinner, uh, depending on what your team group was. Um, uh, but uh, the, there was there there was one that was on a women's meeting. There was a trans inclusive meeting for the women that were attending to talk about. And in that case, they were actually talking about a, a statement for the day against uh, violence against women, uh, which yeah. was while we were there, uh, which I believe is November twenty fifth, uh, which we did a, a an action in support uh, to our comrades in Latin America that I think Natalie had organized. Um, I think there's a photo somewhere on the yeah. on the uh, IIRE schools post page or something yeah and there there's another one that came up of like uh, the discussion that we had on gendered violence within organizations um if people aren't familiar solidarity has a gendered violence commission that does uh handle and address violence that happens between members and between members and people external to the organization um and so it led to a really a really good discussion i i was I had not seen any really good developed model um, outside of, and I'm not trying to say that Solidarity is the best, it's just the one that I'd seen as most um, developed um, uh, in the U.S., let alone outside the U.S. So I was really impressed when um, Cecilia from Argentina had shared that they have a protocol that they're working on in their organization. Um, and that led to a larger discussion of like, how do we even address this and people sharing their thoughts on how, how to do it. And there's sometimes, I would say, the uh, older generation perspective versus the newer generation perspective that kind of pre presents itself in certain places. And so that was what is a really good conclude like discussion that further has grown in the sense that like um, uh, just trying to connect this and trying to figure out how we can actually help other organizations do similarly um, develop ways of approaching gendered violence. So yeah, there, there were so many other little small groups and groupings that happened out of the bigger discussions that I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. And it was, there was always a challenge in those cases because like those, those were just like whatever the dominant language could be. And like that discussion was mostly in Spanish. So <laughs> um, uh, for those that couldn't speak Spanish or couldn't understand it, it was a challenge um, uh, trying to figure that out. But that's like, honestly, there's so many discussions that happen that that's a good challenge to be confronted with because we can't ask the interpreters to do everything. Um, <laughs> they, they did Again, a very lot. Helpful with that too. I, they yeah. get a lot of interpretation over the dinner table too. Oh yeah. Uh, much appreciated. They yeah. were just rock stars. Of this, and this yeah. School. <laughs> it's so funny how many of them was like, you know, I'd like to attend one of these at some point. And some people get the impression <laughs> that interpreters get to attend it. Like, no, they don't get to remember this stuff because <laughs> it's such a, mechanical thing that you don't get the you don't retain it and that's always a challenge with it's not it's it's not a like a feature it's just literally it's just you're going through so much that you can't retain what you just said um or it's a big challenge and it'll seep in there but it did lead to good discussions when they do the readings um uh, even at the bar afterwards which would be, always be fun so um anyway so let's uh Let's, uh, you know, while we're, we've been talking about country reports, um, why don't we touch base on our own country reports since we started putting it together? Yeah. Um, I think the, the introduction of when we were told we were going to do it came across uh, quite comically, if I remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, you know, the, the way that this was done is we didn't know which day uh, until, like, later in the week when which day we're going to be presenting on. And our day got moved because <laughs> comrade uh, uh, Frank from Cuba who was only in for like two days, who 
um, was going to do a country report on the day that we initially were going to do a country report, uh, which was the, what was the day? Was the day that we we're supposed to do it was the day of imperialism, which would have been yeah. appropriate. Yeah. Um, and, but Cuba went that day and we got pushed and we were announced that they were pushed to the Latin America day, right? Yes. Which I remember the reaction by our Argentinian comrades and, and Colombian comrades of like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, perdón, perdón. Uh, but where, where did, where did we go with it? What did we, uh, what did we present on there? Matt? Why don't you go ahead? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think there were kind of like three big themes that we touched upon, which were, um, you know, this sort of history of the U.S. left, um, you gave a great recap, kind of starting with the day without an immigrant, um, mm -hmm. all the way through present day, uh, the sort of changes that we've seen in the U.S. left over the past uh, past decade or two. Um, we talked a lot about the kind of current moment with Sanders, um, the emergence of socialism as a kind of new somewhat mainstream political poll, like the fact that people are sort of aware that there's a socialist movement in the US. Uh, certainly, you know, even four or five years ago uh, was not the case. Um, and the resurgence of labor, the teacher strike wave, we talked a little bit about, you know, these kind of current developments. Um, and then concluded talking a little bit about the path forward for the socialist movement in the US. Mm -hmm. um, what the growth of DSA means, where it's going, uh, you know, raising questions of how we orient toward the Democratic Party, things like that. Um, so it was a really rich discussion. I don't know, are there things you'd, you'd want to add about what we kind of brought out in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you did a good job of summarizing the, what, what we went with. Um, I think the, the challenge that we ran into is like, uh, how do we do U.S. imperialism in uh, 15 yeah. minutes? <laughs> yeah. And try to be concise and leave it space for, for question and answer uh, from, from the comrades that were there. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't have too much to add. I, I think it's just really kind of, you know, we're, we're coming together and trying to understand this because both you and I are coming from slightly different perspectives on, on how this advances and mm -hmm. trying to yeah. give our impressions of where things are going. Um, and I think we did a really good way of, of developing that out. Um, certainly in the sense that I feel like a lot of the comrades that were attending who weren't really clear what, was the, what the differences between DSA and solidarity are, especially since I'm yeah. a pool member, um, or what that means. Uh, and so... Um, I think they got a, a much better understanding of the history and the and where the differences historically have been, um, and I think we did a good job of like uh, of setting the stage of what happened with the Bernie upsurge and the. I'm going to use what I said then. The same as like kind of clean the slate, <laughs> um, and just kind of created a, a DSA that was kind of being. I hate using this term reborn, um, but. <laughs> uh, it's in a position where it wasn't Not it didn't, an inaccurate way of describing it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just kind of put us in this position of like, well, you know, it's both a movement, but it's also an organization and trying to figure out how to develop it. And so, um, but even the impressions of Bernie, I mean, I still hold to my line you know, <laughs> or as much of the line that one can have of, you know, I want Bernie to win, but you know, I, I don't think he will, but I think we can build the DSA up from it and we can, can strengthen the socialist left from it. And that we need to be doing that as a priority one. Um, I think we're seeing that, Unfortunately, now that the machine, the Democratic machine is starting to get into gear of trying to figure out how to tear Bernie down. It is kicking um, into high gear. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I think that spoke to a lot of people's questioning because a lot of, at the same time, a lot of people have a lot of, inter I mean, that was the part that I thought was interesting is a lot of the comrades shared, you know, they do want Bernie to win. They do see the possibility for their, from an international perspective as the benefit of it. Yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, they also, you know, share similar doubts of like what can actually be done in that case. Um, and I think that's where, when we got to the question and answer part, um, and I think that's more or less why we got extended from the 15 minutes that we were given to almost a full extra half hour, um, which uh, it's not American sex exceptionalism. It's just that, you know, we're the ones in the belly of the beast that are fucking up the whole system. Uh, so a lot, but, uh, to, a lot to discuss in terms of America's role in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Natalie, uh, I thought raised a really good question of specifically towards DSA and maybe you could kind of touch base on this, which is, you know, what is their perspective on like, well, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it. So I apologize for not re referencing it directly, but basically DSA's internationalism and, and where is that? And is it, is it, is it more critical, I guess, is the way, um, she was phrasing the question. She's going to hate me when she hears this, but, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I think, I think that really was the spirit of the question, right? It was, um, uh, what is DSA's internationalism? Um, and, and how is DSA trying to develop that? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer, as with most things with DSA, is that it's still very much in development, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we have an international committee, and uh, it's tasked with things like trying to do outreach and trying to develop relationships um, with other parties and organizations across the world. I've been really encouraged to see our uh, national political committee um, continuing continuing to put out strong statements uh, on U.S. imperialism and international issues. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so it's something where I think we're still very much trying to develop more of an international perspective. I think it is, um, to one degree or another, something that that we need to put more effort into. Mm -hmm. um, and so Natalie's question, I think, was was uh, well taken that, you know, we really do need to be committed to developing an internationalist perspective um, and taking strong stances on issues of U.S. imperialism. So, you know, yeah. I think we're trending in the right direction, but certainly, you know, the organization has been focused mainly on organizing around domestic issues and questions. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more you're seeing people kind of recognize the importance of cultivating an international socialist perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that I hope we can really for further in the coming years and develop even more critical perspectives. So, yeah, yeah. And th there are some really other good, good questions that came up too. like yeah. uh, Marco from Venezuela had specifically asked the question of like, you know, what's the state of the working class and, and the, in, in the unions and in the, in the U S in general, um, which, you know, given that we're highlighting the, the, the successes of teacher strikes have happened in the last couple, last year or two, but also stemming back to 2012 when the Chicago teachers initially went on strike uh, with the new leadership and everything else. Uh, what, you know, we highlighted, you know, the fact that the private sector unions, it's, it's not really as clear. Uh, the, the, the left growing in there is a need for sure, but it was, it's a very pointed and very good question to ask because of, of the fact that we need to figure out how to actually get more connected and be, be more in the working class itself. I mean, there's larger discussions and debates of what that means and everything else, but kind of in the broad stroke of the concept um, that we're not in the workplaces where there are strong unions um, that and, and galvanizing a, a leftist and pro more progressive perspective. Um, but I, I thought, you know, I thought it was a, it was a very good question that, that, you know, it was hard to, it's hard to answer because it, the situation is not great. Like our, our political electoral stuff looked promising in the U S in, in one sense, but clearly the strength is needed behind that. And I think that was really a good way that that kind of discussion went. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also 
Uh, but there's another discussion on there that uh, that Ole. Well, <laughs> we say Ole's name. How many Ole? I think the day I was corrected was when I called him Ole, as in like uh, in a Spanish uh, in, infliction on it or Spanish interpretation <laughs> infliction on it. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. None of us, none of us quite got the true Danish pronunciation of his name. It was like. Ola or something, something along those lines. We never seem to nail the vowel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so his question was more of uh, dem- what is democratic socialism in the U.S.? Like, what does it mean? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, is a good question in many ways, right? Because it's, so, it's still so very much a nascent movement, a movement that's defining itself and figuring out um, what kind of positions uh, it's going to take. And... Um, uh, you know, I think his question was, re- the spirit of it was really like, okay, is it democratic socialism or is it social democracy that, mm. um, that the DSA stands for and is advocating for? And I think, like you sort of alluded to, there's been this rebirth of DSA um, and kind of rapid evolution of the organization over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the uh, positive developments there is, you know, there's certainly, it's a multi-tenancy organization. There's certainly no one line um, on almost any given question within DSA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think you've seen it move to the left significantly. And I do think that there is a growing, uh, uh, number of people in the U S who recognize the need to really abolish capitalism. And it's certainly not a dominant view by any means yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most active layers of DSA, uh, you know, obviously there are social Democrats in the organization. Um, I think you see it moving in the right direction and you see people trying to stake out more and more what democratic socialism really means and to to project that um, to our larger audience and project that to people who are interested in left politics more broadly. So I think, you know, it's, it's like I was saying on the international question too, it's still very much in development, but um, you know, definitely the developments that we've seen over the past few years have been, largely largely very positive and i think in the right direction so yeah left direction but yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um yeah um that's true so um well you know i i, I think um i think the, the country report was really fun and exciting to do i i, I really did enjoy that a lot yeah, it, was, it was it was basically your your almost last day i think it was when we did that report um yeah second to last or second last, last day yeah, yeah. um uh, and then the the week after uh, that we were there is was just a, I mean it's still there's still materials up there that are really good but um, what it kind of brought into the, that at least what I'd like to speak to is the the importance of the internationalism that came from this um, and the international connections I mean I think we've just established like relationships with um, how many people were there twenty three at one point or another um, coming from what I'm, I'm going to try to remember every single country oh yeah. Senegal, Sri Lanka, Niger, Germany, Belgium, uh, Denmark. Denmark. Um, then we had Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, Cuba, US. I'm just going this direction of the world. So, uh, India, Philippines, India, India, Sri Lanka. Yeah, we did Sri Lanka in the beginning. <laughs> I think we came oh. fully around. <laughs> I think that's all. Oh, then we had people speaking from different countries, like yeah. Spain and France and England and um, also Denmark again. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 
I think there's somebody else that I'm missing in there somewhere. But the Russian comrades? Oh shoot, the Russian comrades. I forgot about yeah. the Russians. Because uh, they came I in the last week. with them for like a day or two, but yeah. Uh, there were three three Russian comrades who came, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and that, that was that was really cool too. Just uh young young comrades in Russia that are doing some amazing work. Yeah. Um and it was just it was really is yeah, that was they so there's a lot more like further discussions. Um there's I believe an embarrassing video of me uh <laughs> dancing, swing dancing to fifties music with uh the comrade uh, Penny from France. Well, originally from England, but lives in France. I can't. Believe, <laughs> I cannot believe I missed that. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Go to the school. Be sure to stay all three weeks. You can't yeah. miss these things. Yeah. Go start with the second week, and then you know stay yeah. till the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but th- that's one thing to keep in mind. Like this, this is three weeks. You can technically do one week if you wanted to, but from people who've done that, they do not speak highly of it because you, you kind of one miss the development of these awesome relationships. Uh, but two weeks seems to have been a good good uh, time period to be there, um, and uh, and so yeah, there was there's some really good stuff. I and I actually didn't know uh, the details about the summer camp because they apparently do do a summer youth summer camp, and I have to emphasize literally a camp in tents, <laughs> and this is not like in bunks or anything like that. They, you're literally in, in a camp um, that is for two weeks. Um, I think to what Ole had said, I think is it, it's up to the age of 28 um was is the youth camp which um is is fun and interesting since uh that's you know young to me but i I don't think young to to the youths as i like to say from uh my cousin Vinny. um (laughs) uh but yeah so i mean what do you what are your impressions of like the the school in the sense of like yes going to europe and going for three weeks is obviously hard um and we already have we have a couple things happening in the US. We, we now have, you know, we have labor notes that happens every two years. Um, and, you know, we have now the socialism uh, conference that has taken a new form uh, with the dissolution of the ISO. Um, and so, which seems promising. I just don't know what it, what it necessarily means. Um, but it seems like what we got out of the school was a little bit more intimate in the sense of we have a small class mm-hmm. um, that's multilingual. Um, and trying to figure out, you know, what could we do here? Um, is this something that we could do here? Um, obviously, I'm going to say obviously, three weeks seems like a pretty big buy-in um, <laughs> uh, to match what you get to go to Amsterdam for. I, I don't know what we'd have to to compete with that in the U.S. <laughs> um, unless somebody happens to own a spot in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I don't know. You think this is something that we could replicate or not replicate, but kind of take influence and direction from and trying to do in some way? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so, really. Um, it's a, a really incredible experience, I think, to be able to participate in a school like that. Um, you know, there's certainly tons of political education that you can do with, you know, all kinds of left organizations that don't involve a flight to Amsterdam. Uh, but I think to me, one of the best parts of it was just the, the kind of immersive aspect, you know, yeah. to have a kind of set period of time where you can go and just really in a more in-depth, intensive way, participate in these discussions with a set group of people. It's like you're saying, it just cultivates a different kind of conversation and understanding. Um, and especially if you can have international perspectives represented there mm-hmm. i think the value just um is is incredible yeah. so yeah i would love to see the u.s left kind of try and develop something like this um domestically you know what i mean where we mm-hmm. could have 
if not three weeks, just some kind of intensive, immersive political education programming like this. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, there's just incredible value to it. And the other thing I would say to anyone listening who, who is interested in the IRE eco-socialism school is please go if you can. It's incredible. It's just such an amazing experience. Um, and like you were saying, Stephen, if we're serious about building a socialism that's international, like going and getting to make those bonds with international comrades is so, so valuable. So I would highly encourage people to go to this school if they can. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope we can build something akin to this, um, in the U S in the coming years too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I agree. I mean, I think it'd be cool. I I know solidarity has done, um, cadre schools in the past. I didn't attend them, but um, they were three days and, and that seems good and all. I'm just trying to think it out in the sense of like what, what would be a really good commitment that people who would be going would, would not, I mean, I think that the one thing that was really good about the schools, despite, despite the fact that we didn't even touch, talk about the fact that the beers were one euro in the, uh, <laughs> in the building that we're in, mind you, going back to what Matt had said earlier that, you know, we didn't actually have to leave. Yeah. The food was oh, there. It's beer was there. With, with the, with the one day that, and I'm going to give Ole his criticism that he gave on, on our, uh, our final day when we were giving feedback, which was there was the one day that there was no beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a, a very serious moment um uh, but uh but yeah so i trying to think this out in the sense of like inclusive like everything else uh i do think that that it would be cool to try to build something um that's a little bit more dedicated that you're going to be there and not get stuck into mm-hmm. going out and yeah. partying in a sense of just like not taking this seriously which i think a lot of people do at different conferences and things like that not to say that you know, people don't do that, but just saying, you know, what happens when you go to a conference, you're going to go and have fun at the same time. Um, so, and then taking it maybe, you know, a little bit more elaborate from a, a socialism type thing, although I haven't attended one yet, um, or some kind of, I've done summer schools, we've done summer schools in solidarity before, or where it's like a, a day school or for one or two days, but maybe something a little bit more in, intense is the, the way I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Um, might be worth doing and, and trying to work with a number of organizations on that and see where it goes. I mean, it's, it's something that we in solidarity are looking into, but it's nothing that has been formulated um, by any stretch, but um, it does seem like it, it has a, a space and there, there's a need for it in some form or another, uh, but yeah. we'll see, we'll see where that goes. And, you know, um, I, I expect, I would appreciate your input if this advances at some point and others who attend the IIRE school as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. You know, whatever form this might take, um, mm-hmm. I think it is something, it's something different than a conference yeah. and definitely, uh, the kind of dedicated time and, uh, immersion in it, I think is one of the greatest values of it. You yeah. know, just really feeling like you have the space and time to dedicate to mm-hmm. reading and thinking and talking about these issues together yeah. is that alone is like such a gift, just the yeah. kind of shut off everything else and really focus on the political education for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I would encourage like those that, if you like this idea, I mean, Solidarity is a sympathizing organization to the fourth international. And so that's one of the reasons that we're able to send our own members as well as others that we want to send to it. Um, if, if you really do support these ideas, I, um, you know, it, it, it's financial support helps us because, you know, we help fund people to go. Um, and so, you can go to solidarity-us.org slash donate and make a contribution. Um, if you want to look into our organization, you're more than welcome to. Um, 
but you know, we, we want to advance and try to develop this stuff further. And so we encourage people to, to get involved in one way or another. Um, and we see, we'll see where it goes. Uh, and you know, the school is yeah. every year. Um, and the summer school is every summer. Uh, so this is a consistent thing going around. So there's plenty of time to, to think this through. Um, and I think for the summer school, they, they start up looking for people, I think in May, I think is when they, or April, I think is when they start putting it together where they're going to have registration out. So, um, be, be, please be in touch if you're interested. So, yeah. And I want to give a huge thank you to solidarity, to all the comrades in that organization and you too, Stephen, for, uh, helping sponsor me and send me to the school this year too. Um, extraordinarily grateful to have had the opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah. No, thank you, Matt. And it was great getting to know you. And it's great to have you there. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things of like, well, let's see where it goes. And I'm really happy to have developed a good camaraderie relationship and friendship with you and, and look forward to it going forward. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening and uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll try to report more on uh, other events that we participate in this as well in the future. Um, so Stand thanks. Awesome. For the tyrants, fear your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions, for you have nothing if you have no rights. Let racist ignorance be ended, for respect makes the empires fall. Freedom is merely privilege extended and less enjoyed by one and all. So come, brothers and sisters, for the struggle carries on. The Internationale unites the world in song. So comrades, come rally, for this is the time and place. The International Ideal unites the human.